Randy Kay here. We all go through struggles at times, and I want to share with you through stories and insights and interviews with others how much God loves you. He loves you immensely, and that's what I hope you will hear through our interviews and what we have to share with you. Thanks for staying tuned. Here we go. Hi, my guest today, Mark Nelson, died. He had suffered from AIDS. He led a lifestyle in homosexuality in his younger years, and that led to pneumonia, which led to death. But there were demonic attacks against him. A Satan wanted to take his life, but his mother and father interceded for him, and he found Jesus. Today, he works for Samaritan's Purse. Mark, I'm running out of superlatives to explain some of our accounts, but your account is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, mm -hmm. what you went through and your transformation. So, Mark, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, thank you so much, Randy. Uh, it is really a pleasure and, and um, just want to give God glory for our time today and, and just uh, lifting him up in every way. Well, your life, obviously, uh, going into this was very different from what it is today. You're a happily married man, uh, but it wasn't that wasn't that case earlier in your life. So let's begin there and what led up to your afterlife encounter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Randy, I was raised up in a very uh, faith-filled home um, in 1975, the year I was born. Uh, my dad and mom came to know Jesus through the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. Uh, so they uh, were really raised up prior to that heavily uh, in Catholicism. And uh, in the in the mid-70s, there was this big sweeping movement, this revival that carried through the Catholic Church. And people were coming out and, and speaking in tongues and and really just moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And... and uh, really uh, on fire and, and going everywhere just to be near and have experiences with Jesus uh, and that spiritual power that came with that. So so my my parents were involved with that in, in, in 75. And so I would when I came into the world, I was I was really I was growing up in an atmosphere of just loving the Lord in every way possible and uh living my life uh as close to the lord as i could uh very active in uh youth groups and uh growing up and and uh, uh child evangelism going out and evangelizing to other uh, children other youth groups other uh, on the street uh, we were very active as a youth group going out on the street corners and and just sharing jesus um i was raised up in uh Daytona Beach, Florida. So uh, we have uh, a lot of spring break, a lot of uh, college students. We have uh, bike week. We have a lot of bikers coming into our area, race cars. So we have a lot of tourists coming into Daytona. So as a youth, as, as part of this youth group, we were always on the streets as people were coming in. So we were evangelizing every every way we could. And so I, I was really growing up in this atmosphere of, of just on fire and, and wanting to really live my life uh, the way the Lord was leading me at that time. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting close to 12 and 13 of, uh, years of age, um, I was the youngest in our youth group uh, at a, an Assemblies of God church there in the Daytona Beach area. And we were, we were again, actively engaged in all kinds of evangelism. And, and uh, in 1988, at the age of 13, we went on this mission trip uh, and we, uh, we were all excited. We we were going out to really uh, do street evangelism and bring as many people to know the Lord as we could. And uh, there was a, a real great excitement. And uh, after seven days, we returned. And um, there became a, a point where the enemy was uh, working at that point to so so terrorist in the youth group because there was some really movements of, of pride in each one of us uh, that uh, we were doing uh, sort of things that uh, we could only account for ourselves and we never were giving glory to the Lord 
or throwing it back to him. So there was a strong spirit of pride that was moving through our youth group. And, uh, you know, the, the youth pastor was calling us out on it. And uh, it was on a Wednesday night that he pulled me into the back room. And I was only 13, Randy. And, and he, he with, with anger, he said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and as a 13-year-old, I thought he was rebuking me as a person. I had no idea he was re rebuking the demonic spirit that was causing this, this movement of pride. And so as a young person, I left that night at the age of 13, and I, I ran from the church. I came home that night. I, I was weeping. I, I was overwhelmed with grief. I had no idea what I had done. Uh, but I, I had just been told to leave the church because when he said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, he said, now leave and don't come back. But he was he was actually speaking to the demonic spirit. But in, in a 13-year-old in a mind, uh, like I, at that point I was, I thought he was speaking directly to me. And so I left that night and I, I, I said I would never go back to church again. I was done. I was over. And, and at that point, a spirit of rebellion came in my life as well. And it was really, it opened the door for the enemy to really come in and start uh, messing with my mind and my heart. And uh, at the age of 13, 14, 15, I started uh, drinking. I started uh, smoking, doing drugs, and really trying to, to medicate what the enemy was playing in my mind at that time, which really was a lot of perversion, Randy. I started having a lot of perversion going on in my mind. Uh, thoughts of sexual things that I, I, I had no idea what they were. Uh, being raised in a Catholic home and then uh, part of this charismatic movement, we didn't really talk about anything sexual at, at my home. So when I started seeing visually in my mind all this sexual perversion, I had no idea what to do with it. So I started to sort of medicate myself through both alcohol, drugs, uh, smoking, and and eventually it moved me into um, really fornication. I, I was I was having sexual relationships with women, um, uh, you know, early on, 16, 17, 18, I was, I was in, engaging in, in sexual relationships with women. Uh, but it wasn't enough. The enemy kept on uh, giving me all these thoughts in my mind. And I, I started uh, having sort of confusion about my gender. Uh, I thought that maybe I was, uh, because I was, I was really having desires uh, to be engaged with, with the same sex, with other guys. And so it really was confused, confusing me. And it felt like I was, uh, we all know that the, the father of confusion is Satan. So I, I didn't know at that time what was going on. But today I know that Satan was was really bringing confusion in my life. And uh, at this time, I'm graduating high school and I'm leaving for college. And um, so I go away. I, I head up to uh, Tallahassee, Florida to uh, attend Florida State University. And I began to live uh, a homosexual life and uh, having homosexual relationships uh, I began engaging in uh, groups that really were active in, in an agenda that was being pushed at that time. I, I was uh, active in Equality Florida, which is uh, as well as the Human Rights Campaign, which were the big proponents of uh, the marriage amendment, where we were pushing to try to get same-sex marriage uh, passed. And so I was really involved in, in sort of that kind of movement in, in college and uh, living life uh, in a relationship and uh, and uh, multiple relationships going on through my college years. And uh, and uh, after college, I uh, started working and uh, be being Tallahassee, I started working for th that time, uh, Governor Jeb Bush of Florida. And while working for the governor of Florida, I was uh, continued in in relationships uh, with other men. And uh, it was in 2004 uh, that I uh, was asked to manage uh, the Hurricane Recovery Fund of Florida, which in 2004, we had multiple hurricanes across Florida. And so I was, I was tasked with going all over the state of Florida and helping in recovery work for people who had lost everything during those hurricanes. So when I was on the road, Randy, I was, I was then going and having relationships with men in other cities. 
I, I would have relationships in every city that I was going into uh, during those years of 2004, 2005, 2000, um, 2004, 2005. And uh, it was in 2005 that I was coming home um, back to Tallahassee and uh, I was leaving uh, a local gay bar uh, called Brothers. And uh, my normal routine when I was in Tallahassee is I would, I would leave work at five. I would go to the gay bar for happy hour. And I would then leave the gay bar, go home, get dressed and come back uh, in, in hopes to go to an after party. Uh, that was sort of uh, that life uh, when living in homosexuality. You're always looking to for the next best thing. And it was always in the dark. It was always late at night. Um, so there was a lot of that stuff going on. So I, I would go home, come back and go to after parties that would last three, four, five in the morning and uh, start it all over again. So on this one night, it was a Wednesday night, I'm leaving the gay bar and I'm driving down Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee uh, from the bar to my house. And somehow my vehicle gets pulled into the parking lot of an Assemblies of God church there in Tallahassee. I had no idea how it got there. Uh, it was It was a move of the Holy Spirit because when I got into that parking lot, um, I really didn't know where I was at, but I was moved into the sanctuary of this church and uh, not to the back row, not to the middle row, all the way to the front. And I uh, sat down there and Pastor Terrell Todd uh, was giving a word on the mercy of Christ. Uh, he was speaking from Ephesians 2, uh, talking about them, even though we are dead in our trespasses, it's his mercy that pulls us out of anything that we're involved in. And I just started weeping and weeping and weeping. I, I felt a conviction of the Holy Spirit that was so strong that I was uncontrollably uh, weeping. Uh, it was so loud, Randy, that it was disturbing uh, this service. And uh, this, this, this lady came up to me. Her name is Ruby Moran. And Ruby just laid her hand on my forehead and her other hand on my chest to get my mind and my heart. And she started speaking scripture over my life. She started just, just boldly speaking life from the word of God over me. And I mean, tears were flowing and flowing and flowing. And I, I left that church that night uh, with a new direction. I, uh, I absolutely thought that it was a new I was entering a new time for, for me in my life that I was going to return and serve the Lord. And so in 2005, uh, I left there and I thought this was going to be it. And uh, it wasn't the case, though. The enemy started speaking into my mind again. And, and, and he was telling me that I could I could be Christian and still live in homosexuality. So I, I, I in other words, could be a gay Christian uh, that I could attend uh, a, a, an affirming church and live a life for Jesus and still live in homosexual relationships. So that is what I did, Randy. I, I, uh, I got into a, a committed relationship um, with a young guy um, and, uh, and we started attending church together. Uh, a, um, it was called Gentle Shepherd Metropolitan Community Church. There in Tallahassee, we became active in the church. 2005, 2006, you know, I, I spent uh, a few years just being strengthened in that community, that church community that was affirming. Um, didn't know at all that I was I was really being deceived in that church uh, because they were they were giving words of, of uh, that were totally off base of what the word of God actually says. But I believed it. I was I was I was living it. I I, I wanted to believe every word because I wanted to both live in this life, which uh, I know now is a very self-centered life, as well as serve Jesus. And, and we know that you you can't serve two masters, uh, but I was trying very hard to do that, uh, Randy, during these years uh, from 2005 on. And so I, I was doing that and, and going to church, still working uh, at this point for the, the Bushes. I, I uh, transitioned uh, from uh, working for Jeb Bush to 
serving his mom and dad and, and was working at that time for the Barbara Bush Foundation. And so I, I was, uh, again, uh, working in two different worlds, uh, both uh, uh, a uh, working in a political world that was conservative in nature, but living my life uh, and uh, and doing what I wanted to do and, and, and believing that I could serve Jesus uh, as well as being in gay relationships. And um, it was in uh, late 2007 that I started uh, not feeling well. And, uh, and uh, around November of 2007, I just I just wasn't feeling well. I would uh, I, I, I would go and, and uh, go to different events uh, with uh, the bushes, and and they would be large gatherings, and, and I would come out of there and just not feeling good, like almost like I could not get myself from not being sick if I went into a, a large group. And so I thought I thought there was something going on, so I went into uh, the doctors, and, and I was uh, referred to a. Uh, both a GI, a gastroenterologist, as well as I was referred because it was I was all stomach issues, and um, he said that I I had a, a an infected gallbladder, and he said that I needed to get that removed because if I got that removed I would feel a lot better I wouldn't have the pain I was having, and so that's what I did I had a, a gallbladder removed I uh, came out of that surgery uh, late November and then December. Um, I was recovering and, and getting better and feeling better, feeling stronger. And I thought that's what it was. And uh, so I, I, uh, I continued to go back to work and, and again, just doing doing things the way I needed to do them and uh, continuing in my my relationships. And uh, it was uh, it was February 15th of 2008 uh, that I was at an event. Uh, with the Bushes down in Southwest Florida, it was her. It was Barbara Bush's annual fundraising event called Celebration of Reading. Uh, it was for the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. It was a huge event, hundreds and hundreds of people, and um, I get down there, and my lungs just shut down. And I am walking into this event to work it, and I can't walk five to 10 feet without having to sit down because I could not breathe. And so that night um, I was in the hotel and I was uh, having a fever, uh, fatigued, uh, breathing difficulties. And then I, uh, I thought I needed to get back to Tallahassee because if I was gonna go in the hospital, I wanted to be back home. And so I went back to Tallahassee I went to a local urgent care center and it was at the urgent care center that they told me that I had bronchitis. That's what was affecting my lungs. And so uh, I, uh, I went, uh, they gave me some antibiotics. I went home and for two weeks I, I stayed at home, didn't, didn't work. I took these med medications and my body just started being becoming more fatigued. I was losing weight and, uh, and still having trouble breathing. So I went back that urgent care center. And they told me that they said that uh, by the time I got back there, they finally took an x-ray of my lungs. And they said that I had double pneumonia. And they said, you need to get yourself to the ER right now. If you don't go right now, uh, we're going to have an ambulance take you directly there. So I went there and uh, I checked in uh, to uh, the ER and uh, was taken back. And, and this was uh, February 28th of 2008, it was late at night. Uh, they took me back the next day, it was a leap year, so it was February 29th that I finally got checked into a regular room. And so I got checked in and uh, and Dr. Walderberger, my admitting doctor, uh, asked me a bunch of questions about my lifestyle, if there was anything in question. He sort of recognized some of my symptoms and he, he just wanted to question me on some things. And I, I was somewhat truthful with him they did blood work. They admitted me into a regular room. And uh, yeah, when, when uh, a couple days later, Walderberg came in and said, there's really no way to tell you this in, in a nice way, but he said, you have AIDS. And he said, your, your viral load is in the millions and millions of copies. And he says, your CD4 count is in the single digits. So I found out later my CD4 count was four. 
And so at, at that point, because there was such a, a distance between the millions of copies of the viral load of the virus and the CD4 count being so low, that that, that put me into the, the, the definition, the classification of having AIDS. And so I, I was really going downhill very quickly at this point. And, uh, and so I, I was in this room and, and when he told me those, 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 those letters, those, that, that, uh, the, the AIDS, I had the, the biggest fear come over me. So uh, I was already deal, dealing with the spirit of death. Now I had a spirit of fear of death. And those are really two strong demonic spirits. And if they're in, if they're on you and they're in your life, you are going to be attacked. So for the next two weeks in this regular room, uh, I was being attacked by the demonic day and night, day and night. I could not rest. I could not sleep. It was constant attack from the enemy all over my body. And every day, Dr. Wallerberger would come in my room. And because I couldn't speak, because I was, I had no lung capacity, um, he would not want to talk back. He would not talk to me because he didn't want me talking to him. So he would just come in and give me a thumbs down or a thumbs up. Well, every day he would come in and just give me a thumbs down. And uh, that was just, again, another uh, speaking of death from the enemy that produced more and more fear in me. And uh, it was a for two weeks, I, I kid you not, it was a constant movement of Satan over my body. And uh, I felt it very, it was very defined. Uh, it was very active. Uh, Satan wanted me. He wanted me to die. And uh, when I uh, come to the end of those two weeks that I was in there, Waldenberg came in. And he said to me, he said, there's, there's really nothing more that we could do for you. He said, your organs are all failing. Um, he said, the only thing, our only option, and I've talked, he said, I talked to a pulmonologist. I talked to the team here, infectious disease, all of them. He said, the only thing we can do is to induce you into a coma and intubate you. And so your body can rest because they were noticing my body was not resting. But for me, that was, I was being attacked. So they, they, they really interpreted that we needed to get your body to rest in order for you to heal. We need to induce you into a coma. So they said, before you do that, though, you need to call your dad and mom. Because uh, at this point, I had not told my dad and mom anything, where I was at, nothing. Um, I didn't want to burden them. I didn't want to involve them. I, I think the enemy didn't want them there. So he kept on telling me that I didn't need them there. Don't involve them. So every, every time that the doctor would come in and say, you need to call your dad and mom, I was, I was pushing against that. But I know now that was, that was probably the, the, the greatest call for me to, to make uh, because when, when they would arrive, they would really have a fight on their hands. They would, they would be fighting for me in the spiritual realm because uh, I had no way of fighting the spiritual realm. I was, I was no, there was no fight in me when it came to fighting the demonic on my own. And so uh, I, called my, I called my dad and mom. And, uh, and when I picked up the phone, all I could say, cause I, I could only say one word and I'd have to get more oxygen in. So all I said was mom. And my mom responded. She said, Mark, we already know that you're in a bad place. She said, the Holy Spirit has told us that you're in a very serious situation. And we've been on our hands and knees for two weeks, praying for you, interceding for you and fasting as well. She said, you can't pray without fasting. And uh, she, she really just laid in and she, she's, and I had not, all, I, all I said was mom. And here she's already, she's already being moved by the Holy Spirit on what was going on. And so the Holy Spirit had already had her prepared and ready. So after that call, they, my dad and mom, I was in Tallahassee, they're in, in Daytona Beach. They all, all them, as well as my brothers and their wives and their families, they all caravaned up to Tallahassee because they were told how serious it was. And so they, they all thought that, that, that they were really coming to say goodbye because Walderberger had already given this awful, awful report to them. So they were all expecting, expecting, expecting the worst. But my mom and dad were already prepared. The Holy Spirit had already been working with them. 
my mother, uh, the Holy Spirit said to start repenting for the for the the generational curses in your family, repenting for the sins of your family, you know, because that's where it was coming in. The sins of the family, it, it was really a, a series of. So she was repenting for years and years, years and years and years, even before she was there, even before my dad was around years of sin, years of curses. And so that's what she did. And then. Uh, so they arrived to Tallahassee around midnight and uh, Walderberger was still there. He's waiting for them. He comes in the uh, the waiting room. All my family's there. And Walderberger says, this is really bad. There's really no hope here. Uh, you really need to prepare for death. And uh, my brother, my oldest brother, Paul, he uh, he said that he bullied. I mean, he was bold. He said, we don't believe that because we we have faith. And God, and uh, so uh, he, he uh, yeah, so he was really stepping out by saying that, but uh, that's where they were at. And so they're only allowing two people back in to see me. And so uh, my dad and mom, of course, went back. And uh, my mom describes the first thing she wanted to do was just run and lay hands on me. And so she is actually going towards the bed in ICU with her hands open. And she physically gets pushed back from my bed. And she she heard a demonic spirit say, get away from him, he's mine. Get away from him, he's mine. It was very clear. And immediately after she heard the demonic say that, the Holy Spirit told both my dad and mom at the same time, they heard him say Get, that you are entering a war zone. This is gonna be a battle between life and death, heaven and hell. And, and the Holy Spirit then said, get yourself in the word, or in other words, put on your armor. Because we know Ephesians 6, the, the full armor of God, the sword of the spirit is getting in the word. The word is a sword. There's so much in the word that could just fight off the enemy. So that's what they did. I mean, they, they were really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So they started, they, every, they started just getting into the word of God. They started meditating on scripture. My mom was writing it down. Everything she would get from the spirit, she would write it down, write it down, write it down. So she was just quoting scripture all the time. And if the doctors came in the room, my parents would leave because they didn't want any distraction from what the, the Holy Spirit was doing at this very moment. So they, they didn't want to have any, any kind of report from the doctor, whether it be good or bad, they didn't want to hear it because they were they wanted to be aligned with what the Spirit was doing and what, what the Holy Spirit was going to do. So they would just leave the room. And uh, so uh, they were just speaking scripture all the time. My dad never left my bedside. He never left my bedside. Um, he was always, always there. And they would just speak scripture. So they, they would say like, Mark will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Greater is he that is in Mark than he that is in the world. And Mark is more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens him. So they were speaking scripture over and over. And I, when I was in this coma, you know, I was in a coma 22 days. Um, I would I would feel this movement between darkness and light and hell and heaven and chaos and peace. So there was this there was this hold of the demonic still on me. But I believe because they were they were there as well as a, a load of, of people and family that were also speaking scripture. I believe that that was was pulling me into a place of peace, a place of light, a place of uh, uh, move me into a position of, of heaven. But it was a constant struggle, Randy. It was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I, I was always engaged in this battle, this fight between those two areas, those two areas. And uh, for 22 days, um, I was in a coma, but it, it really happened uh, on uh, March 22nd was sort of the, the, the night that uh, I had this huge 
uh, huge event that was really a miraculous experience. But um, March 22nd, the doctors had come in that day during the day. And again, my dad never left my bedside. So he was there and my mom was there at this point. And the doctor said that my hands and my legs should never be untied from the bed. Uh, he said, Mark has been convulsing. His body is, is, is in chaos. It's, it's constantly moving. And he said, if my hands and my legs, if they were ever untied from the bed and I was able to flail my arms, that I, would, I could pull out the tubes, my life support. And the doctor said that I would surely die. He said, that would be it. It would be over. So he, he said, you never, ever, ever want to leave my hands untied from the bed. And uh, so my dad was was took that to heart. I mean, he was watching and watching and watching. He wasn't going to let anybody touch my wrists from being untied. And uh, by this point, my mom had gone back to my house. My dad stayed at the hospital. And so my dad was watching. It was it was getting late. It was probably 10, just after 10 o'clock at night. And uh, the amazing thing, this is the night before Easter Sunday of 2008, which is just a powerful thing to think about what the cross did and what the cross was about to do for me. But um, it was... Uh, it was just after 10 o'clock and my dad had seen this nurse in my ICU working on the floor, but he had never seen her before this. And he never saw her again after this, but she comes in and she unties my hands from the bed. And uh, mind you that when, when uh, the doctors had told my, my mom and dad that if my hands were ever untied from the bed, I pulled the tubes out of my throat that I would surely die. Uh, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my parents and told them that that's the way Satan would take me. And, and, and he said it twice. The Holy Spirit said it twice. He said, that's the way Satan would take me. So again, my dad was watching my hands. This nurse comes in that my dad had never seen before and he never saw her again. And she unties my hands. And uh, my dad very quickly said, you're not supposed to do that. The doctors had all said not to untie my hands. And this nurse responded twice, back to back. She said, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. And she walked out. So I believe that was a, a demonic spirit that moved into my room that night to untie my hands. Because it's exactly the, what the Holy Spirit had told my parents is how Satan would do it. So Satan already had warned them that that's the way that, that well, the Holy Spirit had already warned my parents that that's the way Satan would take me. And so, uh, again, my dad was up in arms. He actually left the room for a minute to go and tell somebody to get my, you know, to get my hands back on the bed, to get them tied back. And. He describes as soon as he was coming back towards my room, I, I, I was coded. I was coding. And he saw the flat line. And he saw the nurses. There was two of them drop me to the floor and start working on me. And uh, he is just beside himself. I mean, he is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming for him because he's seeing his son die and it was it was sort of like being confirmed of what satan was going to do and uh and uh but while while they were working on me i sort of slipped away it, it's almost like i i was just quickly separated from my body and uh i was i was almost up in the far corner of the room just for a few seconds randy it was very quick it was quick enough for me to see two nurses working on me and I transitioned to a very, a, a, a place of total darkness. 
it was it was the darkest dark that I'd ever been. You know, I go into dark rooms. This was so much darker than a dark room. Uh, I go into rooms with the lights off, can't see anything. This was so much darker than that. And as I'm in this dark room, I, I am just it's almost like I I get this sense of complete loneliness, like complete separation, like complete like I'm, I, I have no one, no one with me anymore. I am alone. And uh, just a little bit later, I, I, I see this piercing light off in the distance. And as I'm seeing this light, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing different scenes of my past life just come right beside myself, like very fast. I was seeing. Uh, my younger life when I was serving the Lord and, and living for him. And I was seeing all these different things that were going on and, and how much I, I loved worshiping and singing and, and doing everything that I could to serve the Lord. And then I saw these scenes of me separating myself from, from, from God and, and, and running away from God and, and uh, fornication and, and uh, addiction and homosexuality and uh perversion all these things all these things were just flashing by my uh by my eyes and i was able to, to really see and it was almost like i was being convicted at that point i was i was feeling the conviction of all that i had done to get me to this point of separation and loneliness and randy at, at that that point after after seeing all that this piercing light just goes away and it's it's complete darkness again it was complete darkness and i start feeling um i start feeling a a, a sense of um just pressure pressure all around me and i start hearing screaming and crying for help and there are multiple i would say hundreds of thousands millions of screams that were all different screams all different voices and they were just screaming help me help me help me all different voices all around me and and as as i kept in this dark place they were getting louder and louder and louder almost like i was getting closer and closer and closer to these voices and by this point, my body started getting attacked, physically tormented. I was getting punched and pulled and kicked. It was almost like I was being dragged closer and closer to these voices that were screaming all around me. They were screaming. It was piercing, scream, overwhelming screams, screaming for help. And uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it. I couldn't feel it. I couldn't, and, and all I could think of to do was to cry out to Jesus. So as as, as loud as I could with, with as much as I could, I, I just said, Jesus. And right after that, Randy, all I heard him say was, I'm here. Two words, I'm here. And at that very moment, my soul went right back into my body. And I, I saw... Uh, for the first time, because it was dark, it was it was complete darkness. But I saw this this wind. I've 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 never seen anything like it in my life. But I saw this wind, which what which I now know is the wind of the Holy Spirit. Because when I cried out to Jesus, He said, "I'm here." He sent the Holy Spirit. I mean, from my from what I know now, from really being in the word and really knowing how he responds. The moment I said, Jesus, he says, I'm here. He sends the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, this wind comes in my ICU. And the only reason I knew it was a wind is because it blew Satan and the demonic out of my ICU. I mean, it physically picked them up. From that point on, I was I was engulfed in the demonic. I experienced Satan in that darkness, and I saw Satan's presence. And I I, I had the demonic all around me. 
But when that Holy Spirit wind came in, I saw them being picked in the air and they were blown away out of the ICU. And so I had just witnessed this full movement of the Holy Spirit coming in my room and removing Satan at the same time. And as he did that, everything, both physically, mentally, went away as well. It went with Satan. It was almost like he came in and the Holy Spirit came in. You know, it, it said when the, in the scripture, it says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God raises up a standard against it. it almost like it came in and it just shoom out. This, everything was out. And so my body, my physical body, every organ was failing. I was on dialysis. I was on, uh, I had my lungs. I was on life support. I, 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 my, my heart, my kidneys, my liver, everything was failing. On that day, every organ either was healed or began to heal very fast. And there was a complete physical body healing going on from that point on, which began on March 23rd, 2008, which again, happened to be Easter Sunday. But what I know today about the cross of Christ and how when we come to the cross, we can lay everything at the cross and he takes it from us and he gives us new life he gives us new life the old is gone the new has come and that is through the cross so i i really i really believe that it was no it was no coincidence that it happened on easter sunday i believe it was a i was i believe it was god really giving a good representation on what his power can do when you call on his name and when you call on that name of Jesus. I mean, it, it says in the book of Acts, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I didn't know that until after this whole experience, but I mean, just calling on that name, Jesus, it changed everything, Randy. It was, it was a full transfer. So when, so within the next few days, I was, I was, my body was healing so fast. And the amazing thing is, is, is it was confirmed uh, by those doctors and nurses because I had a nurse, one of the lead nurses who left me on that Friday before Easter weekend. And her name is Susan. And Susan said, uh, she wrote me and she says, when I left you on that Friday, she said, your body was in complete convulsions. You were in chaos. You were being controlled by something. She had no idea what it was, but she said you were being controlled by something. She said, when I returned to you on Monday morning, she said you had the biggest smile on your face. She, she, she not even being a, a believer, um, she recognized what had happened. And she, she knew that something huge, something big had happened. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was just a, it was just a great, a, a great thing. So I, I came out of that coma, and my life was renewed. I mean, it was really, really renewed. I was given a new lease on life. I was quickly moved into a, a rehab facility, uh, where I had to, I had to learn to to walk again and talk again and eat again. Um, uh, you know, I had the feeding tube. I had, I had the chest tubes. I, I had. Uh, bed sores. I, I was in really bad shape, but when I moved to rehab, the, the healing process was just so quick and my body started to strengthen and uh, just, just life being renewed. And, and it was in rehab, Randy, that the Holy Spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit after giving my life fully to Jesus. When this all happened, I turned my life over to Jesus, returned to him fully, surrendered my life over, said I would be fully obedient. And um, in, the, in, the, in the rehab facility, before I could even speak, the Holy Spirit talks to me and he says, I will marry, I will marry Beth. And he just said those four words. He says, he says you will marry Beth. So uh, I heard him say that. And Beth was a friend of mine while I was living in homosexuality. And uh, 
he just had planned for her to be my wife. And of course I said, yes, Lord. And uh, I asked her to marry me on a piece of paper in rehab. Uh, I could not speak, but when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you do it. And so I wrote on a piece of paper, uh, will, Beth, will you marry me? And uh, Beth said, yes, yes, yes. And uh, she was also being reaffirmed by that was what the Holy Spirit wanted. And so it was just an exciting, exciting thing. And, and uh, uh, we were married uh, that same year in 2008 in November. And we have just been serving the Lord uh, and doing what he wants us to do. And some amazing, th amazing things happened right after that, Randy. Um, when we were married uh, in November, I had at that point come into a lot of medical debt. Um, my hospital bill was a little bit over $1.6 million. And so I had, I had some minimum requirements to pay. And so I had medical debt as well as college debt and, and uh, credit card debt. And our first year of marriage, they ended up uh, foreclosing on my house. So we, did, we lost our house. Um, they came and uh, re, re, repossessed my vehicle. So I had no vehicle. And so, uh, you know, when Beth and I got married, we, we really had nothing. And we just wanted to serve the Lord as, as, as much as we could and be obedient to his voice. Well, he, he called us uh, to move back to Central Florida to be closer to my parents. And uh, we joined a church uh, there in Central Florida, Randy. And on the first Sunday, we arrived at that church. This couple, uh, George and Sandra, approached Beth and I. And uh, they noticed that we were new to the church. They had no idea who we were. What we, They just knew we were new. And they said, we want to take you to lunch. And uh, on that first Sunday, George and Sandra took us to lunch, Randy, and, and got to know us just that first Sunday. Well, every Sunday after that first Sunday, Sandra would hand me cash. And no matter how much it was she handed me, it was just the amount of money we needed for that week. And uh, she continued to do that weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And just amazing uh, for her to, to not even know our situation and and to do that. But it really brought us out of a very dark time when we were we were broke. I mean, we were we were living very frugally, very much. But the Holy Spirit worked because because we saw Georgia Sanders just a couple of years ago. We hadn't seen him in a while. We, we, I approached Sandra and I asked her if she realized what she did for us. And Sandra said, we had no idea what your situation was, but the Holy Spirit told us you needed it. And I mean, mm. I, I was blown away. Here, here, here it is. If, if you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, he takes care of you. And uh, and that was just proven by what George and Sandra had revealed at that moment. So so we have just been living our lives for the Lord. Um, I have I, I, I now uh, like to uh, really speak out against some of the things that are going on right now in our current world when it comes to the homosexual agenda uh, and how they are coming against the church and they're dividing the church. And because uh, I remember when I was in and serving with Equality Florida and the Human Rights Campaign, one of the biggest things that they told us, they said to us, the biggest obstacle to same-sex marriage is the church. And they said to all of us in the life, we needed to go into the church and start creating a sense of empathy from the members so they could start really joining us on our on, on what we wanted in our movement. And so today we're seeing a lot of this happening uh, that churches are dividing over this issue of whether we want affirming or non-affirming or we want inclusion or non-inclusion. You know, we, we all want to love, we want to love well, but we want to resist any kind of agenda that's going to come against the word of God. We want to be very much moving in, in love and in truth. So we, we want to, you know, truth is Jesus. So we, we want to we show love, but we want to make sure that truth is there also. So, you know, so I, I, 
Beth and I both are becoming more and more much uh, part of this group that really wants to do that and uh, love well, but love so well that we share truth because my experience confirms that you can't be gay and Christian. You know, I, I, I have a lot of friends that tell me that you can be gay and Christian, but my experience in the conviction I had in death shows me that that's impossible, that uh, God is not calling us to be heterosexual or homosexual. He calls us to be holy. And if we're holy, uh, to be holy, we're obedient and we follow what he says in his word. So, uh, so yeah, so that, that's really uh, the Lord, the, what the Lord has done. And uh, it, it's just been an amazing thing. And, and I'm, I'm stronger every day. And uh, Beth and I uh, just continue to love what the Lord is doing. And we give him glory for it. Mm. Mark, I'm, I'm, I was mesmerized by your story there. I'm listening so intently to this journey that you went through and the full transformation of your heart and your personhood, actually, um, you know, and, and one thing that struck me was when your parents had identified generational curses and that that had been pervasive throughout your family uh, uh, in times that, you know, that of other generations of people that you were unaware. And that's a phenomena that is little understood. You know, you talked about the certainly the spiritual warfare that was going on. And actually the, the manifestation of that with uh, one nurse, for example, who untied your straps in obedience to the enemy. Uh, and so you, you have these kind of these people who are engaged under the influence, if you will, of, of the demonic mm -hmm. uh, doing uh, you know, the bidding of, of uh, Satan and, and his minions. On the other side, you have this generational curse that needed to be broken. Mm. That was kind of like, like, it's almost ironic how, how the untying of the straps to your body would cause your death. And that's how Satan intended or the, or the, the demons intended to, to destroy your life, mm. to kill you. Uh, but also you had this other bondage that was going on through generations that had impeded your life that God was breaking at the same time. Mm. So one was releasing you into death and the other one was releasing you. That is the Holy Spirit unto life. The expression of the Holy Spirit is analogous to what I experienced in the wind. Mm. You know, and that's something Jesus, when he talked to Nicodemus, he talked, uh, he, he used the analogy of the wind to describe to Nicodemus, what it what it meant to be born again. Mm -hmm. I was explaining the the Holy Spirit would be the one that would do that. So, if you uh, have any insight for us in terms of now, generational curses are so endemic uh, within our population, um, and how to overcome those generational curses and those bondages of sin, and the desires that cause those sins. If you have some advice on that front, it would be appreciated, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had learned after the fact, Randy, that there were a lot of curses that had come in through uh, lines of grandfathers and grandmothers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers of activity uh, using um, going to fortune tellers, uh, there's history in my family of, of going to fortune tellers, uh, using Ouija boards. Um, uh, and those, those were the ones that needed to be broken uh, off that generational line. So anything like that, anything along those lines would bring a, a door uh, for the enemy to come in. So I think when my parents were told by the Holy Spirit that I was in a very dark place. And when they got on their knees and fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit said it needs to be, it needs to go much deeper. They realized that they needed to start calling out the sins of, of the past way past. 
and and call those to be broken in Jesus name. And and, and that was really was going to position me for complete deliverance because those were the ones that were holding me back uh, and and really holding other things that were going on in my life. So it it really, I think when I speak, because I have uh, quite a few men that I interact with um, that have that have had the desire to leave homosexuality and run to Jesus. Uh, I find very often that there are curses that are, are long in the past that have that have allowed the enemy to come in and take over someone's mind this far in the future. And it really, it really takes um uh, a moment of breaking that bondage uh, through um, really uh, praying uh, uh, in in, the, in Jesus's name uh, to break those bonds. So, yeah, I, I uh, it is it is very much a serious thing, and, and uh, I think it's it's really what has this generation coming up. Uh, we're seeing that those demonic forces those uh that those curses uh are coming in and we're seeing parents and grandparents uh taking these children into places that are very dark and uh filled with uh satan and his minions and and he is and and these curses are being really pushed and and, and into these children so i think the church you know, we're gonna we're it's gonna come to we're gonna have a false church and a true church. We're seeing it right now, the separation. Uh it's gonna take the true church to be bold and uh really step in here because I, I go and speak at school boards and and uh government and, and county councils and I'm alone, I'm a lone guy when I go speak. Uh we need to have uh, the church, the true church, more active when it comes to protecting our children from the demonic. And uh, it's it's very easy. Uh, I think they've done studies that um, if you if you look at the homosexual community, um, I think like sixty percent of them were raised in evangelical churches. So it's almost like if your children are being raised in the evangelical church, they've got crosshairs on their backs because the enemy is coming after them. So those are the kids, those are the children, you know, we need, the true church needs to be raising up because we need to be fighting on their behalves um, because Satan doesn't play fair and he's coming after the kids. Yes. You know, we, we're seeing that in society today, too, aren't we? We're seeing yeah. uh, the attempt to sexualize our, our children, you know, who have no no interest or concern or knowledge about sex. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, there's this imposition of this uh, loss of innocence upon upon them. And so there's spiritual warfare obviously going on right now in such a expansive way and such uh almost a greater way certainly than i have seen in all of my lifetime uh in the influence that uh that is at hand in the spiritual warfare so that being said if the church then is silent that's almost uh as bad as being um you know as as being uh committing the sin itself isn't it i mean it's negligence or silence is not an excuse to uh, uh, for for not standing for the truth. I mean, it's just um, you know we we need a spirit of boldness, don't we today? Yeah, yeah. I think Scripture says that for anyone who leads a child away, that it's better for them to have the, the stone pulled around their, their neck and be thrown in the deepest part of the sea. So I think that the church is 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 just as at fault as as really those that are part of this movement that is, is that are going after our kids. So yeah, it's 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 uh it's really something that uh you know we went through two years of the pandemic where where everything was sort of uh not 
nothing was being done. And now we came out of the pandemic and it's it's really exploding. And we're gonna see more and more and more of it. And uh, we just need to be um, very much a voice that continues to share the love of Jesus, but also resist any movement of their goal, which their goal is um, to uh, really bring down uh, our generations to come. Yes. Well, the Bible also talks about the sins of the father being passed on to the son. And uh, you, we talked uh, about the generational curses, yeah. but there's a spiritual dynamic going on uh, because there's so many uh, fatherless children mm -hmm. today uh, or our, uh, you know, certainly marriage has been uh, optional, but not something we we're seeing a, kind of a, a less thing or a, a kind of a, a sense of marriage not being necessary, you know? And so there are all of these attacks on some of the social fabrics that have been binding us as a society in a healthy fashion that are very biblical, certainly. But now uh, we see this infiltration in our society to the point where now a recent uh, Gallup poll showed that uh, fewer uh, people believe in uh, the God of Jesus, that they actually ascribe to a, maybe a potpourri of things or nothing at all, but uh, fewer are actually coming to uh, an a, a, a understanding or attendance in church or whatever it happens to be in terms of their devotion to God than we have seen in, uh, in recent times. And that's a dangerous point that we have today. But what your testimony what you have shared, certainly, Mark, and the transformation of your life is one that offers, offers encouragement mm. that even though we may have these deconstructs of society in many ways, that God ultimately will be faithful to our prayers and will save us from whatever, uh, whatever influence, uh, demonic uh, influence we may have been subject to. Amen. Amen. That's the truth. That is the truth. And that, that is, that is why we have work to do. You know, we, we want to, we want to get that message out there, you know, that, that, because like you said, that there are so many that don't believe in the God of the Bible anymore. They believe that uh, this coexists or, or this, uh, that, that there are many ways to heaven and uh, we need to be, uh, you know, sharing the truth that there's only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus. And uh, we need to be uh, very much uh, really proclaiming that message uh, so more and more people can be saved and we populate heaven and we plummet hell. I like how you said that. And hell is something that is discounted in uh, oftentimes in accounts, near-death uh, experience stories. Uh, many will call them uh, kind of hellish experiences. Mm -hmm. Not hell itself, mm. but hell is a place. Certainly it's referenced in the Bible, but hell is a place you've described. And what I've noticed is that those who have shared accounts of hell are being watched with greater frequency or numbers of views than even some of those who are accounting uh, for heaven. It's almost as though people are, at, are, are desiring the truth. They don't want to be deceived into a Pollyannish view. And what I notice certainly in seeing God grieve for the lost is that if we expose people to the separation from God, ultimately, that that separation is, is, is inconceivable. And unless somebody like you who have experienced that and what that means, and that that is why God is so desirous to have this intimate relationship, to know people um, as, as their Lord, mm -hmm. as his, his Lord to them, mm -hmm. that that is his desire because he knows what will transpire if there is complete separation from God in this, in this pit of darkness. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Mark, uh, we thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your transparency, openness, and now you work with uh, Samaritan's Pur uh, Purse. It's a wonderful ministry that was started by Franklin Graham. Uh, we thank you for all that you do and uh, look forward to staying in touch with you, my friend. And, uh, and again, thank you for doing this and your courage in doing so. Well, thank you, Randy. And, and uh, thank you to your wife, uh, who is a blessing too, and, and uh, really appreciate her um, and all the help she has given me and uh, through this process. And uh, yeah, look forward to if anybody is, is struggling or have questions, uh, need prayer, I am always available and would love to uh, walk along some outside someone and, and uh, just be there for them. Now, how uh, would someone get in touch with you, Mark, or how would that happen? Well, I, I, I by my email address, uh, which is uh, crossandwindministries at gmail.com. Crossandwindministries. Uh, yeah, crossandwindministries at gmail.com. I am uh, sort of building up. I'm currently writing. Uh, my story down and, and I'm going to call it uh, the cross and the wind because that's sort of the, the two things that came together uh, that brought me out of uh, my situation and, and brought physical and spiritual healing to my life. So it, it's just going to be uh, sort of I'm going along the lines of the cross and the wind, the cross of Christ, the wind of the Holy Spirit. Excellent. I love that. There was a book written uh, by David Wilkerson, The Cross and the Switchblade. So I like The Cross and the Wind. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. uh, great title. Well, again, yeah. thank you so much. We'll be noting uh, contact information and also we'll be keeping in touch with when you finish that book so we can publish that as well and promote that. Uh, Mark, thank you again for being with us. Thank and you. So for those who are indeed in Christ Jesus, be of good cheer because heaven is in your future. Take care and God bless. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe. And if you'd like further information, go to our website at randyk.org, where our mission is simple, to share the great news of God's love.